This podcast is brought to you by Laterno University. Laterno University is the Christian polytechnic university in the nation where educators engage students to nurture Christian virtue, develop competency and ingenuity in their professional fields, integrate faith and work, and serve the local and global community. Laterno offers more than 140 undergraduate and graduate degree programs across a range of disciplines and delivery models at Laterno's residential campus in Longview, Texas, and in hybrid and fully online options at centers in the Dallas and Houston areas. Online at letu.edu. That's letu.edu. Hey there, it's producer Michael Miracle here. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. We are your on-air resource as a workplace believer. And check out our website for tons more I Work For Him resources. We've got blogs and podcasts and reading material and all sorts of fun stuff there. Plus, a link to listen to the live show several times a day. Yep, head to the website. That's IWorkForHim.com. IWorkTheNumberForHim.com. And the listen tab's up there on the top left. Click that, then click the live link, and you can listen to us live every weekday. That's IWorkForHim.com. I work the number for him.com. And now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for, hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our 9 to 5. This is the I Work For Him podcast. Hey, thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him this afternoon. Once again, Martha, we are in... We are in Dallas, Texas. And I was just going to tell you that we are at Park City's Presbyterian Church. That's so much, so very big thanks out to Park City's Presbyterian Church for yes. letting us do a whole bunch of interviews from here. And thanks so much to Bill Peel from Letourneau's Center for Faith and Work. You could check him out on Online at centerforfaithandwork.com, centerforfaithandwork.com. Bill Peel, once again, you bring us an incredible interview. But let's just talk about Laterno's Center for Faith and Work for just a moment. How do people, when they get, when they go on your website, centerforfaithandwork.com, what's one thing they're going to find out there that will just change their lives? I tell you, if they would, if they'll search for workplace grace, that will lead them to actually a whole set of articles about how to take your faith into the workplace and how to impact the people around you. And we'll also, uh, you'll be, be introduced to a book that uh, has changed a lot of people's lives, quite frankly, and helped them understand how they can really talk about faith appropriately in the workplace without offending people, A, but in a winsome way that really attracts them to Christ. And we might just know one of the authors of that book. Oh, yes, you might. Well, yes. Bill Peel, Bill Peel, Peel that's himself. Right. That's right. We did, we did a show on that. So if you want to hear Bill share his story, just uh, type in Bill Peel and I Work Rim on Google. Just ask the Google. <laughs> I Work Rim, Bill Peel. You'll see those stories that we have done. All right, Bill, why don't you introduce our guest for today? I am so happy that uh, Aaron Bosford has, has joined us here. I met Aaron at a party uh, probably 15 years ago or so. <laughs> and uh, she was uh, a, a lady and her husband that I... Kathy and I really wanted to get to know. Aaron is the founder of Botsford Financial Group, which is a boutique financial planning firm with offices in the Dallas area and Atlanta, Georgia. And she specializes in retirement and asset protection planning for business owners and senior executives. Uh, She's considered one of the leading thought leaders, one of the thought leaders on 21st century investing, risk, risk management, and retirement, and is really among the top echelon of financial advisors. Uh, she is an incredible lady, very smart. Uh, she's the author of a best-selling book called The Big Retirement Risk, Running Out of Money Before You Run Out of Time. That could be pretty scary. She's also chosen, has been chosen numerous times for Barron's, Barron Magazine's top 100 
women financial advisors, and top 100 independent financial advisors in America. Aaron is married to my favorite American Airlines pilot, Bob, and they reside in McKinney, Texas. Bob and Aaron spend the majority of their free time playing with their three lovely grandchildren, grandsons, and working on their philanthropic endeavors, serving uh, returning military veterans and humanitarian relief to women and children in Africa. Aaron Botsford, welcome to I Work For Him. Well, thank you. Appreciate you being here. You know, I, I normally ask the question, you know, how did you become a Christ follower? But because your story is pretty unique, why don't you just share a little bit about what went on in high school in your life? <laughs> well, my story goes like this. So I was born in Illinois, and I'm one of six children. My father was a professor at Northwestern University in Chicago. He decided he wanted to, you know, uh, follow his dream. So he borrowed against his teacher's pension plan, and he wrote a book. And he moved all of us to San Diego um, when I was 11. Six months after we got to San Diego, he died of a massive heart attack in front of all of us mm. on Valentine's Day, 1970. And um, he left my mother with six kids and $10,000. So we... Effectively, we got stuck out in San Diego because we had no money. I mean, my father had been, you know, in trying to pursue his dream the week before he died, we had our car repossessed three days before we, he died. We had our refrigerator repossessed. Uh, it was it was pretty grim. So, you know, my mother uh, had to go back to work. And uh, so on the same day I lost my father, I lost my mother, too. And so, um, but we had no choice. So all of us had to contribute to the household. I had to start babysitting and I was lucky. I made a dollar an hour instead of my friends were making 25 cents an hour. Mm -hmm. And you, at the end of the day, you just put your money in the middle of the table. So had to learn at a very early age how to make money. So um, when I was 16, I was, I got my first real job at McDonald's. Best job I ever had. And on my way to work one day, unfortunately, I was involved in a very bad car accident. I hit a young man on a motorcycle, and he was killed. Mm. So I was immediately charged with involuntary manslaughter by the state of California. And the interesting thing is, when you're charged with a crime, you actually have to defend yourself. So my mother and I had to go to see a man. They called him an attorney. I'd never heard that word before. And the, but the man said, you know, Mrs. McGowan, this is purely a matter of economics. If your daughter will just plead guilty to these charges of manslaughter, I'll be happy to enter the plea for you, and she'll just get whatever sentence the state of California hands down. But if you want to defend your daughter, it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Well, knowing that we had no money, my mother stood up, shook the man's head, and said, okay, my daughter will plead guilty. And I tell people, I remember, I actually had an out-of-body experience because my mother just said, I'm going to plead guilty to killing someone. And it was just more than I could manage. And I was pleading with her. I was like a two-year-old saying, please, mom, don't, you know, it was an accident. I'm a good girl. I was a 4.0 student, for goodness sake, you know. And she looked at me and imagine being my mother. She looked at me with the saddest eyes and said, honey, I'm so sorry. We have no money and therefore we have no choice. And I always tell people, that is the day that I learned money buys you choices or not. The good news is we went home. My older brothers and sisters were talking as if I wasn't there. They're like, mom, mom, we can't let her plead guilty to killing somebody. She'll be screwed up for the rest of her life. Mm. 
And so my brother, the wisdom in my family at that time was 22 years old. He suggested my mom take a second mortgage against our house because the only thing she did, she had taken $2,000 of my dad's tent and she bought a house. So we had some equity in the house. I, we took out a loan. We paid for my defense. We found it. It was not my fault. I, you know, he was 18 years old. He'd borrowed the motorcycle that morning. He was going 47 miles an hour in a 22 mile an hour zone. And I was on my way to work. I was going 17 miles an hour. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the Christian part of that, and I tell people often, you know, unfortunately, this young man didn't die immediately. He lived for like four or five days, and then he died of massive head injuries. And the day after he died, we get a knock at the door, and my mother lets these people in. It was the parents of this young man. And again, remember, you got to go back and realize, I'm thinking I've killed their son because there was no witnesses. And um, anyway, so they slap a picture down on the table and said, here, we wanted you to meet our son, Chucky. And the fact that my mother allowed all this to happen is just, you know, another story for a shrink's couch. But, um, (laughs) But the big key thing that they said to me at the time, and we really weren't, we weren't people of faith at the time. But they said, Aaron, you have to understand we're Christians and we don't understand why God took our son um, and we're not blaming you. And so, you know, and you, you don't have to worry. We're not going to sue you. I didn't even know what all that meant at the time, mm-hmm. except that once the criminal trial was over, three weeks after the criminal trial, and I was found not guilty and let off on all charges, this, this a mom and dad, these Christian people sued my mother and me for a ridiculous amount of money. And I remember, remember my mother saying to me, you know, she, she looked at me and she turned on me and said, well, you know, because of you, we may have to pitch a tent on the high school football field because she was worried we were going to lose the only asset that she had, which was our family home. You know, I proceeded to, uh, I tried to commit suicide twice. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even very good at that. One of the ways I did it was I took a blow dryer and I filled up a bathtub and I turned on the blow dryer and I thought, well, if I you know, put it in, I'll get electrocuted, right? That was my only way of, and, and obviously we all know as adults, I was just, I was begging, screaming for attention. And my, and the attention I got was my mother got very upset with me and she told me to go replace the blow dryer. So mm. there was not a lot of uh, help, if you, you might say. And the, the really funny part about it was my father was a PhD in psychology, yet when the time came that I could have used a little bit of help, I didn't, there wasn't any resources to do that. So Long story short is we got through a criminal trial. We also got through a civil trial. It was very interesting when the lady from the insurance company came and they then defended me. Um, She said, you know, I have a real problem on my hands. I have to put you on the stand and you actually think you killed that boy. Mm -hmm. And she said, I've got to convince you that that you didn't. And uh, the good news is they settled out of court. And for 30 years, I never knew how much money they got because they said, do you want to know how much? And I said, no. I didn't want to associate a dollar figure with the amount of pain that I had gone through. You didn't want to know how much money it was, and you didn't find out for 30 years. My question to you is, after all of this happened, why did you become, why did you become a Christ follower after all this awful stuff that's happened to you? Well, there were some good things that happened along the way. I wanted to finish the story that, you know, I was tell, always tell people by the time I was 20 years old, I had saved $22,000. And... Um, one of the ways I saved the money was I went on the wheel of fortune and I won. Mm. 
And so, um, you know, the, the, so many good things happened. The only way my husband, Bob Botsford, recognized me, we were in the same class. I was a junior. He was a senior in high school. And um, he opened up the Sunday paper and one Sunday morning and saw my picture that I had killed somebody. And he goes, oh, my gosh, that girl's in my algebra class. So that's how my husband noticed me. Um, he, we started dating you know, it was nice. He, we started dating during this whole tumultuous time. And I will tell you this, and I always am sad that my husband's not here to hear what I say sometimes. And that is, we'll play he, this for him. He, he loved me through some very awful times. He loved, because mm-hmm. I was kind of a train wreck, right? So when he asked me to marry him, you know, the bride's parents are supposed to pay for the wedding. Well, my mother had no more money then. She did to, then, to, to defend me. So my friend Marie said, hey, they're doing tryouts for Brides Week on Wheel of Fortune. So I tried out, I won, and the puzzle I solved was down in the dumps, if you can believe that. <laughs> so I took this money and uh, paid for our wedding, and then I took, um, I, I took a bunch of money. I took $3,000, and I bought my first condominium with a friend of mine, a townhouse, with 3000 I took the other $19,000, and I gave it to a stockbroker, and he lost all of it for me in six months. So How? He put it in um, four different um, limited partnerships, and in 1986, when the tax laws changed, they all became worthless overnight. So Uh I always tell people, it's all for good. You know, I I always say that, um, you know, by the time I was 22 years old, I had a PhD in the School of Hard Knocks. Mm. So Bob and I got married, and uh, we were not Christians yet, and um, he was in the Air Force, and we moved 17 times in the first 14 years we were mm, married. Wow. He was a fighter pilot. He flew F-4s, and then he flew F-15s. And I became pregnant after we'd been married about three and a half years. And Bob Botsford was a different person than he is today, and he was really not paying attention to me. He was flying all the time, flying weekends, ignoring me, and I was nine months pregnant, and <laughs> very feeling very neglected I'd followed him all over the planet and one day I came home from work and I turned on the tv and I was eating I'll never forget a half of a tuna sandwich and an apple and I was flipping channels and all of a sudden there was this guy on the tv and his name was Billy Graham Mm. and I was in such a miserable state by the by this time and he said that if I would, you know, receive, pray to receive Christ, that Jesus Christ would come into my life and things would get better, right? And so I put down my tuna sandwich and I got on my knees and I prayed in front of a television to receive Christ. Mm. And then I didn't really know what I was going to do with that information. I was certainly not going to tell my husband because I didn't know what he would do with that information. But they offered to send a booklet. It happened to be Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking, mm-hmm. which is just filled with the gospel message. And so I got it. I was reading it. <laughs> and this is the good wife I am. I fixed my husband dinner and he came after he came home from work one night. And I had three or four pages of this book I wanted him to read. And he was busy studying for an exam or something. And I said, I want you to read these three pages out of this book. And it was really the gospel message. And he said, no, I'm, I'm much too busy to do that. And I said, well, if you don't read these three pages, I'm leaving you. This is the truth. <laughs> I'm being honest. Okay. So he read the three pages. And he immediately that night knelt down, prayed to receive Christ. And we were like the cutest little baby Christians. Like, I didn't know anything. But we'd like, okay. Now it says that you need to pray and then you need to believe that God, you know, is going to answer your prayers and 
And then, okay, now it says, and this is how we were, you know? Wow. So the really cool thing was one of the big prayers he had was to become a pilot. He'd been a navigator in the Air Force, and now this was his last chance. He'd been up three times. He was against, he was up against 10,000 guys. Oh, my. So the odds were very slim, and that's why he'd been working and doing all these things, but it was something that was really important to him, and it was really cool because we prayed and prayed and prayed, and then on a Sunday afternoon when I was about nine and a half months pregnant... <laughs> And miserable. I went to take a nap. And back then, remember when there was dial-up phones? Oh, yes. <laughs> Where actually you had to hold the phone. You know, so the phone rang. I was in the bedroom. And I picked it up in the bedroom exactly the same time he picked it up in the kitchen. And I heard the, his commander say, Bob, I just wanted to call and tell you that you've been selected for pilot training. Well, for us, that was an answer to prayer. And so he's like, are you kidding, sir? Sir? You know, and I'm like this. And so when he hung up the phone there, I hung up the phone in the, be- in the bedroom. And I turned... So I was not facing him, and I heard him, like, <laughs> creep in the bedroom, and and I turned around, and I started screaming, you know, and it was really cool, because the first thing we did was get on our knees and thank God. So oh. we have just had the most amazing faith walk as a couple, and... Um, And you can imagine, I know one of the questions you'll finally ask me at some point is, how did I get into my business? Well, there are so many, so many ways, you know, so many answers to that. But you can see after all the financial crises and things we went through, um, that's that's how our faith journey began. Aaron Botsford, that's a great story. I love that. Do you, when you wrote your book, the big invest, excuse me, the big retirement risk, running out of money before you run out of time, is some of your story in that? It's book? all in there. Yeah. It's all in there. Yeah. That's, of course, I love yeah. that. Well, can we give away a copy of your book today? I would love that, and I will personally sign whoever. Whoever you give it to. Fantastic. So. All right. So if you want to get a copy of Aaron Botsford's story, The Big Retirement Risk, Running Out of Money Before You Run Out of Time, and it's got a lot more in it than just her story, really deals with that subject, The Big Retirement Risk, Running Out of Money Before You Run Out of Time. Call into the studio line, our I Work For Him studio line, 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK. Did I get the number right, honey? You did. All you of a sudden, I, I had this like, blankness. All right. So, You're so riveted by all that she I, just was, told That was a fantastic like, oh story. Goodness. And what I love about the fact is that, that you just, you know, Billy Graham, you are one of millions of people that did exactly the same thing. Mm. You just got down on their hands and knees. I've heard that story so many times. Mm. Just got down on my hands and knees and prayed. Billy said so. That's what I'm supposed to do. And that's What an Lord. incredible legacy. Mm. Like, I, I just... I, that's just fantastic. He's going to have this big wall in heaven. These are all the really cool people that came to Christ because of Billy Graham. All right, so you are now a few years down the road from that whole story, and the Lord has led you to be a, a woman of an incredible influence in the financial services industry. How did that all come about, and how has your faith played into that story? Well, um, Bob got out of the Air Force in 19... Well, we, we moved... We were living in, in Germany, actually, from 85 to 88. And uh, I started a little business over there. I'd always worked. Everywhere we went, I always worked. And I worked in the title insurance, real estate and title insurance business. So when I got to Europe, I started teaching GIs how to come back to the U.S. and use their VA benefits to buy no money down before Givens started doing that, Charles Givens. Anyway... Um, so I learned how to speak in public. I mean, I, I learned a lot of things that I would have never had the opportunity to learn. But we got back to the States in 88. And naturally, I was going to go back to work in the real estate or mortgage business. But I was at church on a Sunday, and this person in front of me, she got paged. 
on a Sunday and she had to walk out of church. It turns out she was a mortgage banker. I'm like, mm, that ain't going to happen. So mm. I had, a, by this time I had a child and I, I don't know why I just didn't want to have that. I didn't want to be on call that I would have to leave church. So I'm like, that's not going to work. So a pager for those of our younger <laughs> listeners was a <laughs> electronic device that we had on our belts that somebody would call that said, call me back. And here's the number to call back. And then you'd go to a pay phone or somebody else's desk phone and you would return the phone call that way. It was the technology prior <laughs> to like, cell hey, phone technology. I need you. Call me. That was right. All the important people had pagers. Right. Okay, sorry, Aaron. For our younger audience, they're like, what's a pager? Oh, what's it? I know, I know. So anyway, um, my friend, I didn't know what I was going to do. And my friend Donna said, hey, you know, my, why don't you talk to my stockbroker friend, Hal? And so I went and talked to Hal. He got me an interview. I literally had to borrow a briefcase and a business suit because I didn't have one. And what was really cool is the branch manager then, it's, I really thought he was going to say, well, honey, why don't you come be my secretary? And instead he said, you know, I'm going to give you a shot. And so... I'm thinking a shot at what? <laughs> I didn't know anything about, I didn't know how to sell, spell stock, bond, or mutual fund. I was such a neophyte. But they sent me to, what was interesting, they sent me to uh, training in St. Louis. And I came back after, and three weeks later, and he said, this manager said, now I want to see your business plan. And what was interesting is he had never asked one of the guys <laughs> to see their business plan, yeah. but he wanted to see my business plan. And I thought, okay. And so I showed him the business plan, and he said... Aaron, he goes, uh, this is amazing. Like, I think this is the best business plan I've ever seen in my life. The truth is it probably was the only business plan he'd ever seen in his life. But he said, I just don't want you to be upset or disappointed when you fail. And I said, well, why do you think I'm going to fail? You just put me through training. You took it, you're taking a chance on me. He said, because you are a recipe for disaster. And I'm like, Really? And when we get back, you get to hear the rest of that story, the recipe for disaster. We'll be right back with that recipe, Aaron Botsford, and the rest of the story right here. And I work for him as Martha and I host in Dallas, Texas, courtesy of Bill Peel at the Laterno Center for Faith and Work. Check him out online, centerforfaithandwork.com. What are they going to find? Why should they engage Laterno Center for Faith and Work.com if they don't go to the Laterno? Well, they're going to find all kinds of resources to help them understand what faith looks like out in the workplace and how they can influence their colleagues, their coworkers, their customers for Jesus Christ. I mean, how cool is that? That's how you were introduced in your, in the workplace. Guys from church grabbed a hold of you and said, Bill, your workplace, you didn't just have to be a pastor or a missionary to make an impact. You could do it right there in your workplace. Isn't that, that what you're helping people well, with all the time? Well, that's exactly right. And I had to, I had to come to understand that as I came out of seminary thinking that, well, stuff like Aaron does doesn't really matter, except... Aaron, make a lot of money and make sure and give a lot of it to the church. And so we can do God's real work. And they helped me understand that work matters to God. And that's the message that I've been trying to relate to people ever since. And if you're just tuning in right now to I Work For Him this afternoon, I want to challenge you. You're going to want to go back and listen to the archive or the podcast because you have missed incredible amount that I don't want you to miss. Aaron Botsford's story is amazing. And it's just, it's amazing because God was at the center of it, directing her to him all along. But right before the break, Aaron was told by her boss that she was a recipe for disaster. Aaron, what was he talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, I was a female. He said, I'm young. I was 29. I'm a female in the South. And he just said, you know, nobody will listen to you. And so 
I just decided I was going to prove him wrong. And so I hmm. worked my rear end off and I became the number one producer in a very short period of time. And how? I mean, I just, I worked harder than everybody else. That That's how. It, it wasn't, I mean, I came from nothing. I didn't know one person in the town of Panama City. I just decided, how am I going to, remember my time in Germany, had a lot, I'd done, been doing seminars. So I had gotten over the fear of speaking in front of people. So I decided, Panama City, Florida, the average per capita income back then was $9,000 a year. Well, they don't have a lot of money to invest. So I thought, hmm, where's the money? Well, the money was coming down from the north from Ohio and Michigan. And so I would do lunchtime seminars at the public library. And then I prayed for, I always prayed for rain because if it rained, the guys wouldn't play golf. They would come with their wives to my little seminar. So I built my business doing that. Wow. <laughs> prayed for rain. And in Florida. In Florida, that's, yeah. That's pretty good. I like that. I like that. Okay. That's a long time ago. Yeah, so let's fast forward a little bit to, you know, and I'm sure along the way this became true for you, but you, um, a lot of people don't connect their faith and business. In fact, they don't think it has anything to do with God's work. How, um, how do you perceive the work that you on a daily basis and um, how it's a part of God's agenda? Well, two things. One, I want to give Bill, Pro- Bill Peel props because... He really helped me see that we met and um, at a party. It was an election party, yeah. as I recall. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you know, Aaron, the problem with you is you're a closer. <laughs> Remember that the first night you ever met? <laughs> He's diagnosing me and telling me my problem. And, but he <laughs> did was, you know you, you had didn't had even know you had, right? <laughs> I did not know I had a problem. But he was so right because here's what would happen. Now, this was how many years? 20 years ago? Long time ago. I was on a plane every single week of my life, and I was usually upgraded to first class, but all I would do is work, 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 work in on the plane, and I never engaged the person next to me, because even if I engaged them in a talk about God or Christ or whatever, we were getting off the plane in an hour and a half, and like, what good was that? And Bill, in his wonderful book, taught me about planting faith flags, and so I I've had the best time, and you know this. So now, because I do like people, and now, unfortunately, for these people sitting on either side of me on the plane, I do engage with them. And then I try and engage, because you said what, Bill? It takes 26 faith flags, 20, oh, may, maybe 26 interactions with someone before you come to have a saving knowledge of Christ. So I play a game with myself. I have no idea what the answer is, but I'll go, oh. I bet I was number two, number five, number 18. I try and gauge where they are as I engage with people, where they are in the in their faith walk based on our discussions. Mm-hmm. And so now I know I don't have to be a closer. That was my problem because I thought, why would I bother to have this conversation? I can't convert them in an hour and a half. And so I wasn't doing anything. So that was huge for me mm-hmm. in terms of my business and you know, the evolution of bringing my faith into the marketplace and into my work, I always think I'm a tent maker, right? That's all I do. I make tents just like everybody else does things, but I make a lot of money making tents. And so I have the ability to influence the people that work for me making tents and our customers who are buying our tents. You know, I I think about that and, and the vendors who, who come and supply our things. And so then I can take the money and I can influence what I believe in. And so Bob and I give an extraordinary, 
I shouldn't say extraordinary, extraordinary by our guesstimations amount of money away because it's more than we ever thought we'd have in a million years, you know, mm -hmm. but we can influence policies, you know, um, we take care of our families. I have a sister who's going through, she's 72 years old and she's deaf and she's going through cancer. She has two different kinds of cancer. And so we're paying for all of her alternative cancer treatments. And my nephew's having this court battle and he's involved with a child custody battle. I'm able to help him. So, you know, money just, money does make the world go around. I mean, unfortunately it does. Call it evil, call it good. It I don't, can be used for either. It can be used for either. And I choose to make a lot of it. I love to, I love to influence with my customers. I, you know, they're trying to plan for their futures and I want to make sure they, they are influenced by how we do their plan because I want them, I want to bring money alive to them because you know what, if I can tell you how much you need to live the life that you want to, I can also convince you that let's just stop there and everything above that, let's just give that away. And a lot of people buy off on that. Hmm. Sure, so. cap your income. I mean, sure. as Christ followers, I really believe that's important right. for us to do. Right. So really, to recap, just one of those things is that you see that you are actually um, propelling generosity. If that's just one of the things that you're doing within your business is, is encouraging people, you know, if this is all you need, then let's give the rest away. Right. And um, what a great thing for the kingdom, even if they, you know, whatever the, whatever the cause might be that they want to get behind. We're talking with Aaron. Botsford. She's got a financial planning firm, BotsfordFinancial.com, BotsfordFinancial.com. That's B-O-T-S-F-O-R-D, Financial.com. You gotta, you just gotta hear her story. And if you've just tuned in right now, you have to go back and listen to the whole story. You can also get a copy of her book, The Big Retirement Risk: Running Out of Money Before You Run Out of Time. Call the studio line, the I Work for Him studio line, eight six six seven one three ninety six seventy five. Bill. You look like you were going to say something right before I interrupted, but you brought Aaron here. What's one thing you want to make sure that she tells us today? Well, I think this this idea that there, well, there are two there are two things. First of all, this idea that you can actually cap your income and give the rest away is a is a huge thing. What's uh, what's enough? Well, you and, work for an organization that a guy started that he started that whole idea. Exactly. Well, I'm not sure he started it, but yeah. he certainly he lived it out. He popularized it, that's for sure, by giving 90% of his income away because 10% was all he and his wife thought they needed, and that's exactly what they did. We're talking about R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau, yeah. So what's one thing you want to make sure, besides this capping of income, that you want to make sure Aaron gets to communicate today on I Work For Him? Well, the fact that you can, in every interaction that you have with a person, you can be a spiritual influence with them. You don't have to close the deal. You don't have to get a person all the way along. You can help them. It's about t helping people take one step closer to Jesus Christ. That's all it is. And whatever that is, because this is the Holy Spirit's job. So Aaron <laughs> may meet somebody, you know, that's, it is, she is number two, and they're not very far along at all. And uh, on the next flight, she may meet somebody that she can actually nudge across mm -hmm. the line of faith and that they experience new birth. But uh, but just to, to relax about that and realize this is the Holy Spirit's deal. Right. And right. my job is not to get people to pray the prayer of salvation, but take one step closer and I can do that in any situation I'm in. You know, and as we talk about... Um, the just connecting our faith and our work and for our listeners every day on the radio, the same concept really applies because a lot of people think, well, I can't 
I can't do X, Y, and Z with my business, so I'm not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. And we say, no, what is one thing that God could ask you today to change about how you're doing business to help the kingdom? Whether it's the way you treat your employees or the way you treat your vendors or the way you pay your bills on time or early, you know, being good stewards, whatever it might be that they are just spurred on to that next thing. And it really kind of is the same as that planting of the flags. It's one more thing that they can do for the kingdom with their business. Aaron, how many employees do you have at Botsford Financial? Well, up until October, I had 20, but now we have about 80 because we merged our company with two other firms. So, yeah. So, how, what does it look like on a daily basis for Botsford Financial employees to put their faith into action on a daily basis? Well, not all of our uh, employees are Christians. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I don't want the holy huddle. Because then I, I mean, like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So we hire them based on their talent. But what they do is they see, uh, they see generosity in action. And so, for instance, uh, I demand like we don't lie to our customers. And so they have to understand that they're not going to say, "Oh, Aaron's in a meeting." No, Aaron's not in a meeting. Right? It's going to be. I may be unavailable, but I think there's these. these I make them see there's fine lines between telling the truth and telling a lie. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we don't lie. We don't lie. And we, when something happens in a client's account, I mean, we tell the truth because mm-hmm. we only want to tell it one time. On a, a lie, you have to make up. You know, you have to re- remember what you told them. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember it. So right. they learn lessons like that. I'm very generous. I pay above scale. One, because I also don't want to replace people. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. You keep I good mean, people keep that good way. people. I have people that they're with me 17, 18, 19 years, first job, and they're still with me. And then we set goals, and at the end of the year, I take them on a big trip. I take them to Lake Tahoe. I've taken them to Lake Tahoe many times. They like that place. I took them to Napa Valley. I took them to San Francisco, Cabo, Cancun. You know, and I take them on a first-class trip because I travel first-class. I want them to see what hard work what that looks like. And so a lot of them say, I think maybe that's why some of them even stay because they like that trip. Because they said <laughs> they, would never, they would never be able to afford to travel the way that I... Tr- and you know what? I could take them on a stupid, crappy little trip, but I don't. I take them on a... I honor them. And this is not... They don't have to thank me. I'm thanking them for a job well done. Mm-hmm. So. so showing them appreciation is one of those things. Do the people that work for you know that your faith in Christ is at the center of everything you Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Botsfordfinancial.com, B-O-T-S-F-O-R-D, financial.com. Bill Peel from the Laterno Center for Faith and Work has brought her on as our guest today. Bill Peel, you have a question you want to make sure you get to ask Aaron before we go today. Yeah, I, you know, it's apparent that when you, when you go back to the book of Genesis that God wants us to create wealth from the earth here. And so a lot of Christians have a, I don't know, they have, an attitude about that sometimes, but what is what do you think God thinks about wealth, and why does why is that important to Him? Well, one, I think you know you, we are told and commanded to be good stewards of what He's given us, and I, I really do think um, it's. I think God blesses those who bless others. I, don't, I think you know the whole Malachi three ten is kind of like evidence of that, and we've been big believers in that that was his its own story i wish i could have told but so yeah i think that uh if you're a christ follower as i always tell people i think that you should make a trip for sure every business owner every christ follower should absolutely go to a third world country and see how the rest of the world lives and 
you know that I wrote a second book. It's called Seven Figure Firm, How to Build a Financial Services Company That Grows Itself. And I'd written it, oh gosh, five years ago, but I didn't want to publish it because the idea is, how do you build a company? So many financial advisors, they just have a practice, like a dental practice, and they have to be there all the time. And I tried to build a business. And so I needed the business to run without my day-to-day involvement. So what do I do? I take six months off and I went to Asia, I went to India, and I went to Africa, all parts. And I was gone for about six months that year. And my business, not only did it grow, but it uh, we had a record year that year. But in doing so, talk about money being valuable. I mean, the rest of the world, third world countries, it is a mess. I mean, the poverty would boggle most people's imagination. In India, it's so bad you can't even you can't even relate. It's like they're living in the first century, some of the places that we went. And so I just feel like, you know, we get so caught up in our money here in our bigger house, bigger, better, more, bigger, better, more. And we we don't because we sometimes it's, I'm not blaming people, I'm not judging people. They just have no idea how the rest of the world lives. There's this small microcosm of the universe. It's called the United States of America, <laughs> maybe some parts of Canada, and maybe some parts of Europe that we live these affluent lifestyles with no regard, especially as a Christian, with no regard for how you know how impoverished the rest of the world is. And so I think, I mean, I, I always want you know at the end of my days, I want the Lord to say to me, "Well done, good and faithful ster- servant." I, I want to be known for my generosity. I mean, I feel like God has blessed me un- amazingly well. I love it when I can influence my clients to put a cap on their lifestyle. Now, I don't judge them if they don't. It's completely up to them. But I think once, if they would ever to make a trip to a third world country for a, even a week mm-hmm. and see the need that's out there, how do you see the need and not respond? I mean, really, I, 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 that's the question. How do you see the need and not respond? So, Aaron, tell us, tell us what, what you saw and how, you, how that touched your heart and how you responded to that. Yeah, well, um, we've been on safari five times. And the biggest reason that we, the first time we went, we f- were introduced to an orphanage in Zambia, just for grins. It's, the, it's Ebenezer.org, excuse me, EbenezerFoundation.org. It was founded by a woman from Sri Lanka. She had come over to Zambia. Sri Lanka is a very poor country. And she, uh, her husband was a medical doctor and his uh, patient count was 2 million Africans. And so mm. she went to the grocery store one day, and it, let's call it, it's a, it's a hovel. You wouldn't even call it a grocery store. But she came out, and there was all these cardboard boxes, and they started moving. And she lifted them up, and all these teeny little kids, these two- and three-year-old kids came out. She was horrified. And so she went back in, and she found she got a bag of rolls, and she gave the rolls to the oldest child, and he whistled, and like dozens more came out. Zambia alone has 1.4 million orphans. That's huge. Wow. You can ask my five-year-old grandson, what's an orphan? He says, it's a little boy or a little girl who's lost his mommy and his daddy. That's a huge problem there. So she Mm -hmm. ended up, she didn't have a dime, but she got $300 from a woman, her name was Kristen, out of Sweden, and she had these kids meet her every day under a tree, and she was a teacher by trade, so she started teaching them Fast forward 17 years later, she's got an orphanage that has um, 80 children. There's 40 babies sleeping in 20 cribs. So when we go there, she just asks us, just sit with them and hold these babies. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about this place is when you walk into the baby house, there's no baby crying. They learn really early on, there is no point in crying. There's nobody to pick you up. 
And then we work with the toddlers and we sit and we use our iPhones and show them pictures of themselves, let them take pictures. And, you know, it's so much fun. So they have 80 kids in the orphanage, 500 school children that come. They actually have parents, but then they have a 40-acre farm and they feed the parents of the 500 school children because otherwise at least those kids have parents to go home to, but those people don't have any way of making a living. Mm -hmm. So Bob and I, we really prayed about it a lot in 2009 and, and said, wow, you know, we could really make a difference. This is something we could wrap our arms around. So we are the largest supporter of this organization and everything I do now, we capped our income and our, our net worth and everything I do now is to better the, the lives and add more and more kids and things like that. And so, um, it's been quite interesting. And so now what we do is we're taking another group on safari. Now we go on safari and we invite rich people to come with us so they can spend time at the orphanage. And then we take them on a fabulous safari. So it's awesome. That's fabulous. So it, and going back to just your comment then, you know, getting others in America exposed to what the rest of the world lives like. And I love that you're encouraging people, even if they don't do it, but a lot of people have never even heard the concept of capping their salary. Mm -hmm. They're like, why would I do that? But we have talked to several people mm -hmm. and just even challenging them to consider it can change their paradigm a lot. Well, and that's why I'll encourage people to read my book because mm -hmm. my book, I'm, as you can imagine from my background, I am not a risk taker. I, you know, been through a lot in my life. And so in order to feel good, and I don't say cap your salary or cap your income, it's capping your lifestyle. Sure. Right. Right. And exactly. so, so somebody's lifestyle may require a million dollars. Well, it takes about $20 million to, to, generate annually a million dollar lifestyle so once you have 21 million let's start pairing some of that back mm. you know and you know again no judgment but people want to know and and i always tell read my book i can tell you how to make sure that that million dollar lifestyle is always secured you want that secured and, and i found with people once they know that is going to be secured whether it's a million four hundred thousand a hundred thousand whatever their place is then they feel good about giving the money away. The problem is when you have stock markets, when you, when you invest in traditional markets, and these people are worried that, oh my gosh, my lifestyle could, be, could, could, could excuse me, go down by 40%. Right. That, that's why people don't want to cap their lifestyle. That's why, because they're afraid of market volatility. Read my book. You won't be afraid of market volatility anymore, and you'll understand how to do it. So again, the name of that book is The Big Retirement Risk by Aaron Botsford, and um, people can find that on Amazon. On, on Amazon. Yeah. Or if they call into our listener line, we have one copy that we'll give away to somebody, and Aaron will sign it for them. So Aaron, I would like 866 to- 866-713-9675. You're right. I should actually give them the number if I want them to call it, right? 866-713-WORK. So I wanted to just hear, um, with all that you've been through in life, what do you think in your business has been one of your biggest challenges, and how's your faith helped you- to work it out. <laughs> and you got two minutes to tell that <laughs> you, story. Yeah. Oh, good. That's, I, it was, that's easy. Um, I've had a lot of challenges in business, mm -hmm. a lot. But one that came to me that's sort of funny is that I, I did some business with another fellow advisor, and our business dealings went sideways. Um, I don't think he did a good job for my customers, and I was mad about it. Mm. Well, he decided that he did do a good job, and the bottom line is we got into a court, a potential court altercation. I decided... I just wanted to be rid of him, so I wrote him a $50,000 check to go away. And, uh, and it, was, it was bad because we had traveled together. His wife was a friend of mine. It was a very close personal relationship, but it went sideways very mm -hmm. badly. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't know, that was maybe 20 years ago, something like that. And I have the, I'm so grateful. God gave me a gift. I have a very bad memory. And so I was walking into our Atlanta office about three years ago, and I saw this gentleman walking toward the, um, toward the parking garage. And I'm like, oh, Bob, Bob, I haven't seen you in so long. And I came up and gave him a great big hug. And I knew he was standing there just stunned, you know, and because we'd been in this terrible legal battle. And I'm like, how's Mary? Are the kids? All these things. By the way, that's not their real name. But, um, and he's telling me, we engage in this conversation. Oh, it's great to see you. You know, I'm so glad we ran into each other. And as I turned and left and walked in the, into the office, I thought, what was it that I had against him? <laughs> and I walked upstairs to my business partner and I told her who I ran into. And I, <laughs> and I, I told her that I gave him a big hug. And she's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, what was it again that happened with us? That's great. And that's why you need to read Aaron Botsford's book, The Big Retirement Risk, Running Out of Money Before You Run Out of Time. Check out Aaron Botsford online, BotsfordFinancial.com, BotsfordFinancial.com. Aaron Botsford, thanks for being an I work for him today. Sure, it's been great. Bill Peel, once again, a phenomenal interview, a phenomenal story. Just great to see God working in the marketplace, isn't God it? God is at work, and it's incredible to see all the wonderful things that uh, – that are happening and faith is alive at work. That's for sure. You've been listening to I work for him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately I I work work for him. him.